Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Simon Evans. Joining me tonight, two people whom I've got to know very well over these last few months and who I now like to think of as strictly work colleagues. It is Leo Kirst and Diane Spencer. Good evening. As you know, the producer writes these links. <laughs> I feel a good deal more affectionate. Yeah, you just out of it now, just, Simon. Just <laughs> own it, Simon. But of course, we're now in a situation where I'm not always in charge. Obviously, tomorrow night I'm going to be over on your on your turf. That's right. I'll be the team captain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've got to try and keep in your good books. Yes, yeah. Yeah. She's on the opposition. So you don't care. I, I feel like there's, it's quite an interesting... I mean, it's probably quite healthy, isn't it? I do wonder sometimes whether it would help with Prime Minister's questions if, if Keir was in charge once in a while. And <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have some headlines to get through, so let's start with, start as very often we do, with the Daily Mail, who have polio back in the UK after 40 years. We'll be investigating that story and also a picture of young lovers Murdoch and Jerry Hall who bizarrely have fallen foul one another after only six years of marriage. Murdoch 91 and Hall 65 to divorce. Terribly heartbreaking news there for lovers and fans of true romance. Uh, the Daily Telegraph has teacher strike would be unforgivable, says Zahawi, and a rather extraordinary photograph of the Prince of Wales who has visited the uh, Genocide Museum in Rwanda there and is inspecting the skulls of some of the victims with an entirely appropriate look of uh, dismay and concern on his poor old face. The Independent has new refugees locked up for removal to Rwanda and uh, an Afghan earthquake which has killed at least 1,000. It was a 6.1 on the Richter scale for Richter Fans, The Guardian has talks to end rail dispute breakdown in acrimony and a monument to the Windrush generation has been unveiled in what looks to be a railway station there, but I'm not quite sure. The Financial Times, they have, as always, a lot more information going on. They have the Afghan earthquake. They have Sunak defends 10% pension rise as teachers threaten strikes over pay. And they have Credit Suisse sued by fund manager at the heart of Vatican's London property deal. I suspect the Financial Times will have that story to themselves tomorrow morning. The Daily Mirror has one rule for them, uh, meaning that is the bosses have enjoyed massive pay hikes over the last few years and the drivers have not got to keep pay down, PM. Try telling this lot. The Times have gone with unions pile pressure on Bosses after 7% pay deal. And Prince William, who is uh, picking up the, uh, the racism baton, he says Black Britons still face bigotry. Uh, the Daily Star, finally, stranger things you probably did not know about Kate Bush. Ms. Bush, of course, enjoying a revival thanks to that TV show. And their main headline, Psychotic Seagulls Holding Me Hostage. Why the FT and the other papers haven't covered that is a mystery. I'm not sure we'll have time to get onto it, but let's see. Those are the headlines. Let's see what's inside. (music) 
So we begin with Thursday's Guardian now, although the other papers, of course, also have it. And another day of travel chaos looms, Diane. Yes, well, uh, so the Guardian are going with talks to end rail dispute breakdown in acrimony. So uh, obviously uh, everybody's blaming each other in this situation. Mm -hmm. um, you have the RMT saying, well, they have refused to even turn up at the negotiating table. Grant Shapps is saying they're lying. And uh, Network Rail is saying, um, we're not being puppeteered by the government. That's not true. And everybody's panicking and, and blaming each other. And it means that obviously the strike's going to continue, mm. which is going to penalise mainly the hospitality industry because a lot of white collar workers learnt how to work from home during the pandemic. Yeah. So as per usual, the poorest off are the most affected. Yeah, if you can stay home and make your own sandwiches, it might become more of a habit, mightn't it? I did think that when they started. They have, they've, they've, they're in between two possible uh, aspects of this, which I find quite interesting. On the one hand, they are leveraging, I would imagine, the degree to which people rely on the railways, especially with diesel and petrol prices as high as they are. A lot of people who might be 50-50 on how to get into work will suddenly be thinking, oh, you know, pay the drivers a little bit extra because I, I do not want to have to start driving into work. But on the other hand, we're all quite used to working from home now. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, over, over lockdown, hospitality took a, took a big hit. A lot of those people weren't covered by furlough. Uh, a lot of them are self-employed and, uh, and, you know, they, they couldn't work. The hospitality industry was, was hollowed out. We saw the number of restaurants and bars that shut down. And while that was happening, uh, the taxpayer bailed out the rail industry to the tune of £16 billion. Yeah. And now the, and they, they got to stay at home, uh, you know, do, doing even less work than when they're at work. Uh, and, you know, now that everything's back to normal, they're like, oh, we want more. You know, I don't know. And like, also, uh, you know, they're, they're sort of using this, this bullying power because they do have incredible power, yeah. uh, the unions, to, uh, to demand stuff. And they're, they're saying, you know, this is going to cost the country £100 million a day. So that shows what we're worth. And it's like, that's not what you're worth. I mean, if we, if we closed down all the power stations, like nothing, all economic activity in the country would completely cease. It doesn't mean that the power stations are worth the entire GDP of Britain. No, you're absolutely right. It's a sort of labour theory of value kind of idea, isn't yeah. it? Which went out of fashion, I thought, shortly after the Bolshevik Revolution. <laughs> but uh, it, does, it is extraordinary how certain industries and certain unions seem to be capable of organising still. Whereas, I mean, the hospitality industry, of course, part of the problem, as you mentioned with them, is that it wasn't really the workers, of course, who lost out. They were the ones who just went back home. A lot of them were overseas or whatever, or they just went off and found different jobs. And so it's the people who own restaurants, people who run these kind of things who are really struggling. The RMT seem to have some really good old-fashioned sort of organising power. It's quite impressive. Isn't and old-fashioned is exactly the key word mm. because um, the Daily Mail have published an article showing the antiquated practices unions are striking to defend. Right. And uh, these are incredible. Some of the rules are said to date back over 100 years, including they cannot schedule single individuals to go and change, to go and perform tasks. They yeah. need to schedule teams. So uh, we've got a brand new joke. How many RMT <laughs> workers does it take to change a plug socket? Yeah. Uh, Nine. 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 It's insane. Wow. And they can't even... Is that serious? That is an That is actually fact. serious. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they won't share the same van. So it means that when you need to change a plug socket, you've got a fleet of nine vans turning yeah. up. I mean, I wonder that, like, when the trains do run, when they say, oh, there's a signal failure, you think, well... How, how, how long does it take to fix a signal failure? With these rules, you can see why it takes so long. Yeah, like, and you always see unions marching at climate change protests, but then they're demanding a van each, yeah. like, like they're yeah. bono. It's, it's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs>
there's one that caught my eye out of these ridiculous regulations that if they're on their lunch break, I think, it, I think it's up yes. there, if they're on their lunch break and a boss says something to them, just opens a conversation, not on any particular work-related, the lunch break starts again from yes. that point. Yes. It's like some childlike staring contest or something. Yes. You blinked, we have to start again. Quite extraordinary. On to Thursday's sun now, um, a new day and a new virus, Leo. Yeah, so viruses obviously are more newsworthy than they were a couple of years ago. But polio is apparently spreading in the UK for the first time since 1984. So experts have detected uh, polio in uh, a London sewage sample, or several London sewage samples since April. Yeah. Uh, so it's a clear sign of a community outbreak. So they're, they're urging everybody to make sure that your kids get jabbed, because obviously polio used to be you know, an incredibly dangerous uh, disease yeah. that killed people, crippled people. Um, and you know we've we've not really been worrying about it. It hasn't been eradicated from from the world, but it hasn't been in the in the UK for a while. So the last case was uh, was in 1984, and the country was declared polio free in 2003. But so this back. is largely due to uh, successful childhood vaccination programs. One of the most famous vaccinations in history, isn't yeah. it? The polio vaccination. Jonas Salk, I think, who created it and rolled it out. It used to just Kill and, and, yeah, put kids into iron lungs and stuff. Horrific yeah, yeah. business. And you'd always have one of those little plastic children with a slot in his head outside the newsagent that, that was for polio and he had a... Horrible, horrible business. <laughs> but um, I'm not quite clear whether this... I mean, the sewage out, the sewage testing, is this is this suggests that somebody has actually got it in the UK. This yeah. is... This is it's, well, more, it's more than one person. So a community yeah. outbreak. So it's spread from person to person. So presumably it's been brought in from another country, yes. right? It's not just sort of blown over on a... No. Do we have any idea where from? What, what, um, no? They did list some countries. They said uh, that the UK Health Security Agency, experts believe, mm. so they don't know, but they believe a traveller likely from Pakistan, Afghanistan or Nigeria has shed the virus. Right. And the thing is, is that they keep detecting shed. the virus. That's not the past shed. participle I usually use when it comes to... <laughs> I'm going out to the shed, dear. You're doing what? In the garden? That's disgusting. Um, but they keep detecting these samples over and over again uh, yeah. since May. Wow. So there we go. OK, well, let's keep an eye on that story. That's nothing to worry about just yet, but keep alarmed. Nevertheless, Thursday's Financial Times. Looks like the Russians are taking it upon themselves to give us a, a winter of discontent, Diane. Yes, well, the uh, International Energy Agency uh, chief has warned that Europe needs to prep for total shutdown down of Russian gas exports. Okay. So um, they were doing some kind of um, uh, one of these... Um, They've published. I'm so sorry. They've published a new report, yeah. um, and they're basically saying that governments aren't doing enough. So the um, IEA um, have said that um, you need to stop shutting down the fossil fuel power stations. Don't decommission nuclear power plants if yeah. um, it's safe to not do so, um, because you need to be prepared that Russia is just going to turn that tap off completely. So they're just warning m mainly the OECD I thought countries. we were supposed to have turned the tap off at our end anyway as a sanction against Russia. And now Europe, sort of... Europe is still right. uh, sending hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. uh, to, to Russia for oil every every yeah. day. Well, rules now. spend it all on arms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and as soon, as soon as Putin annexed Crimea in 2014, we yeah. should have noticed, we should have sat up and been like, well, we can't depend on this guy 
for, for oil and gas because he's, he's unstable. And instead, we're still... I mean, just last week, just last week, Michael Gove, uh, you know, banned uh, a, a fracking. Woodset uh, uh, was, a, was a fracking site, and yep. he, he kiboshed that. Uh, when we should be developing our fracking, this is the moment. I mean, all right, in 10 years' time, you know, when we've dealt with Putin, we can yep. worry about the environment. Right now, there's more pressing issues. We should be, like, opening Campbell oil field in the North Sea. We could be, Britain could be pretty much self-reliant on oil and gas. We could be helping out the rest of Europe. But instead, we're, we're going to, we're just sleepwalking into a winter of discontent. Well, wow, I've... that's a great combination of uh, cliches. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember there was a president, what was his name? Trump, Trump, something like that. Donald Trump. Yeah. 2016, great who guy. went to Germany and, and my time. warned Russia, uh, Wait, warned them years. That, that being dependent on Russia for its energy, uh, yeah. you know, was and they were there was some tremendously amusing footage of the Morgan ah, Trump yeah. guy. What is he? What is he like? Turns out he's a sage, <laughs> incredibly wise he man, was the sage of yeah. uh, Florida. What do you think, Andrew? Is it, is it like a... Essentially, this is a warning saying, yeah. buy a coat now, because yeah. right now it is the summertime and we have discounts on coats. Buy coats, not bikinis. That's yeah. what they're saying. I think that's a good idea. Thursday, some once more, and the Rotherham abuse scandal report, Leo. This is a bit of a throwback to, a, to an earlier event, but the... the um... Well, it's an earlier event, but it's yeah. still going on. The, the authorities still haven't haven't tackled it, and it's it's still happening in, in towns across the the UK, which is shocking. This isn't uh, relating to the to the current uh, shenanigans. So uh, this is a report, a new report by the Independent Office for Police Conduct. It found that officers who dealt with the Rotherham uh, grooming gang scandal, which victimised, I mean, the official number is fourteen hundred uh, girls. So you know, this is uh, this is grooming and, and child sexual abuse on a, just an industrial scale. It's horrific. Yeah. Uh, so this was between 1997 and 2003, and, you know, many men were, were uh, sent to jail. They found that, uh, that the police uh, failed to take decisive action. Uh, they were under-trained. Some turned a completely blind eye, and uh, still no, no police officers have been sacked or, or uh, you know, this, this hasn't been dealt with. And some of the details are horrific. So uh, cops turned up, found an older man uh, naked in bed with a victim, with a child, uh, and didn't, didn't do anything. It's absolute insanity. Uh, another... They said they didn't have enough training. I don't know what training, what training do you need. need? Well, I'm not even a police officer, and I know that if there's a naked old guy in bed with a child, you do something about what it. What training do you, you honestly need? Like, well, I, I just can't believe they're they're so quick to police tweets or jump on like Joe Lysett. Uh, he he told a yeah. joke on stage, and they're straight round asking him asking him questions, but they can't deal with child sexual abuse. Uh, they actually had a deal with one of the perpetrators uh, to uh, to not arrest. Them. He handed over a missing girl as part of the deal. It's, I mean, I just can't believe this. This this happened. And this is I, all the, the the suggestion is that all of this mishandling comes from a fear of appearing racist, of destroying community relationships, and so on. Exactly. One girl's father was told nothing could be done because of racial tensions surrounding the investigation, and the council, uh, you know, the social work and local local authority, labour local authorities. Uh, didn't address it because they were afra afraid of looking racist. That came out, that was actually specified in a previous report, and it's, it's still going on. There's articles in The Guardian that misrepresent data to minimise the, the problem and, uh, and say, you know, there, there isn't a problem with uh, uh, Pakistani Muslim grooming gangs. Uh, it's, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely shocking. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Dan? Can't, I can't imagine there is much to say. Except, as you say, it is still going on. I think Oldham most recently. Uh, Telford as well. was doing about it, yeah. 
Thursday's Mirror, our final story for this section, a tragic finality to the British man caught up in the Russian war, Diane. It doesn't look good. Yes, so Aidan Aslin, 28, was captured while battling the Kremlin troops in Mariupol, and he has been sentenced to death by um, the unrecognised Donetsk People's Republic, uh, which is the breakaway eastern region. Yeah. Now, um, Aidan actually moved over to Ukraine in 2018. It's been his home. He has married a Ukrainian woman. So when Putin invaded, he is not the British mercenary that they are touting him as. He lives there. It is his home, and he was defending his home because he has experience fighting uh, in the forces. Now, Liz Truss has been in touch and has been negotiating with the Russians, but they are pushing this psychological torture on Aidan, from what I can tell, because he told his mother over the phone, uh, no, they told me nobody's been in touch, they've told me this, they've told me that, and I think they're just lying because I think they are torturing the poor man. And there's there's also another man, Sean Pinner. And this is just a very sad example of, of what's going on over there. But their entire story is being changed. The Russians are saying they're mercenaries and they're, they're sort of just piling all this rubbish on, which isn't true. Very upsetting news. Mm. Well, that is all we have for part one. That's the grim stuff out of the way. Coming up, we've yeah. got misogyny, drugs and sexual transmission. <laughs> That's the standard weeknight for you. See you in a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, joined by Leo Kuss and Diane Spencer. So looking at Thursday's Guardian now, one of the most contested topics of our time, Leo. Yes, so free speech campaigners have condemned the UK government's boast that the planned British Bill of Rights will boost freedom of expression, mm. claiming it'll actually undermine it. So there's a, there's a clause in this Bill of Rights that says a court must give great weight to the importance of protecting the right which is completely vague and subjective. That doesn't you know, guarantee, it's not a cast iron concrete guarantee of, of freedom. And uh, these uh, campaigners say that uh, we should in instead uh, reform a number of problematic laws, uh, such as the Police Crime and Sentencing and Courts Act, uh, the Public Order Bill and the Online Safety Bill, which uh, the Online Safety Bill creates a new category of legal but harmful speech that, again, is completely vaguely defined yeah. and subjective. And, uh, and it puts the onus on policing it on, uh, on uh, the tech companies. So they'll be, um, they'll, they'll be uh, risk averse uh, and not want, to, not want to go to jail. Uh, so it'll really restrict uh, on, online freedoms and what we can say. So broadly speaking, your, your view is that this, this, this new bill is not good news for those of us who prefer speech to be as free as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got so many overlapping pieces of legislation. In Scotland, there's the hate crime bill as well, which yeah. uh, which is being worked through. We've got, we've got a version coming in the rest of the UK. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think we need to scrap a lot of this legislation and, and, you know, streamline it and also make it clear. And legislation really needs to be clearly worded and yeah. not, you know, vaguely. Not, you know, oh, the court should give great weight. You know, how much weight? What is weight? The culture of, like common law in this country, broadly speaking, I think not a bad thing, and the ability of judges to kind of weigh things up in, in and use a bit of common sense is not always necessarily a bad thing either. But there does seem to be a drift in the last few years yeah. towards a more uh, authoritarian reading and, of and that. Things... Sorry, isn't it whatever's in fashion as well? 
Uh, if a certain sensibility is in fashion, then that is where the law's weight goes. But yeah. I don't like the use of the word weight. That doesn't sound good. That makes me think, well, that makes me think of an uneven seesaw where yeah, somebody sits yeah. on the seesaw and I'm just sat in the air going, oh, well, great, I have no weight. I'm, I'm done. That's well, it, it is. I mean, it's a fairly well-established principle in court and in law and in common law and in equity and so on that, you know, you, you have a number of things to consider and, and, you know, which one do you give the, the priority to? I think that's a reasonably well-established... I think judges understand that as part of their remit. Yeah. The thing about this is, I mean, I think there's probably very high-profile cases, like, uh, obviously, you know, your, your, your Nazi pug and that kind of thing, and, and these are mm. the ones that capture everyone's imagination. There's always a lot of stuff which is less glamorous, less interesting, yeah. but is equally important. For instance, defamation and libel, you know, and that kind of thing, which can be a one-on-one -on -one kind of case and, and is often what limits the idea of free speech. Does it have anything to say about defamation? Well, and you've got uh, non-crime hate incidents as well. And this, right. this is, there's about 150,000 of these, so they're in the process of being phased out. But until they were, uh, you, if somebody accused you of a you know, hate speech yeah. and the police investigated and found it completely, you know, you're completely free and unbroken the law, you still had a non-crime hate incident recorded against your name. Yeah. So any any employer that's going to hire you, they can they search your name, see that you've got this this against you, and don't hire you. So you know these things can have far-reaching consequences. And it has a very chilling effect on any individual who gets a call from the police. I mean, yeah. we've all been there. You know, they, they knock on the door, and there's just that moment, however much you might think you're above it, where you feel like a, you're a naughty schoolboy again, don't you? Yeah. You know, seven years old. What have I done? You know, <laughs> and uh, then you find it's your own wife that called them in. You know. I'd like to report <laughs> a, a hate incident. But I do think it's interesting, and, and the other one we'll be moving on in a minute is, of course, the extent to which journalists are expected to reveal their sources and all that kind of mm. thing, which all comes yes. under this again. Very important. And I yeah. personally think is, you know, does need protecting right up until the moment when, you know, you see somebody coming out with a story you don't like the look of. <laughs> Where do you get that from then? And then you'll, you'll give them a slap, yeah. won't you? One of those uh, strategic lawsuits against public <laughs> participation. Sticking with Thursday's Guardian now, female scientists and credibility, Diane. Yes, well, talking about publication, uh, female scientists are less likely to be given authorship credits mm. and analysis fines. So, Professor something or other... She works in New York uh, University. I uh, can't remember her name. And um, <laughs> she did this study between 2013 and 2000, 2016. Her name is Julia Lane. OK. And uh, she uh, looked at all these articles and she discovered that there is a discrepancy. Mm. Uh, quite often, um, women will not be credited when they were key in yeah. creating something new. Uh, it also happens with the new graduates. You know, a few more male graduates will be acknowledged rather than the female graduates. But it's interesting when it came to the reactions as to why. Like, when, when she said, so why do you think you were missed off? Yeah. What's interesting is that then two-thirds of the women went, it could be due, due to bias and discrimination, whereas all of the men went, I probably didn't contribute enough. Right. So that's a very interesting psychological difference as well. Yeah. Let's hear it for men and their humility yeah. and realism. Out of proportion. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose the, thing, the question is, <laughs> none of us really have any idea, do we, what, what authoring a scientific paper is like, how many hours it might take, how many contributions it might take from how many different people. We are completely guessing here and we're in the dark. But it does feel like there's maybe a culture of... Uh, of reference and recognition that is 
starting to be at least acknowledged. Yes, and also, I mean, we work in a very different industry, whereas in, like, for example, in a television programme or a yep. film, everybody gets credited. Yeah. Like, everybody. Like, yeah. the person who got the coffee gets credited. Everybody. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. And then you fast-forward through the credits because they're oh, absurdly long Nobody reads you know. them. I remember but... watching The Clangers. I used to love The Clangers. Do you remember Oliver <laughs> Postgate? You did the narration and created The Clangers. It was an animated show. The only the only credits on the entire show for The Clangers were Oliver Postgate and then and then Pete Furman, who was basically he, he's the guy who sort of did the, you know built the models and did. Well, a bit yeah, of the kids' sound TV stuff. shows. That used was it. To, literally two people. Kids' TV shows used to literally be like a face drawn on a spoon with a yeah. felt tip, and a guy's like waving it. Yeah, <laughs> the credits to like Noddy in the morning or or like Postman Pat or something are, are as long as they might be for like Top Gun Maverick. It's <laughs> anyway, this is obviously more serious. Uh, the one that always comes up though, which always makes me feel uh, I don't know, is Rosamund Franklin, who was. Um, who contributed important images which allowed Crick and Watson to identify the structure of DNA. She's always given as an example of somebody who was, who was left out of the, of the science books, to the extent now which I think she is probably as famous to anyone discussing it. She took the photographs, which, I mean, photographs might be a slightly inaccurate word, but she created the images which allowed them to determine the thing. She didn't work out what it was. More to the point, she was dead before they awarded the Nobel Prizes, which eliminated her from being a possible recipient. The very fact that she is always given as the example makes me suspect that maybe there aren't more legitimate examples of people who've been excluded <laughs> from scientific... Do you know what I mean? Oh, I saw it was in the same story. It was in the newspaper mm. again on the same thing. If, it, if there were more legitimate examples of outrageous you know, prejudice which have been shown by the scientific community in the past, do you think they'd start to bubble up by now? This was 1950 or something, I think. Well, I, I, well, there we go then. Uh, Simon has issued a challenge <laughs> yeah. to all the uh, female scientists out there. Have you been missed out of your paper? Please contact us at GB News. <laughs> <laughs> On to Thursday's Times. And it seems the Scottish prison system is, is, is lacking in the creative problem-solving department. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I hate to shock you both, but uh, apparently there's a lot of drugs taken in Scottish, Scottish prisons. Wow. So, but the, the, uh, the boss of one of Scotland's biggest prisons Mm -hmm. says it's impossible to keep them out, so he's not going to try. Also, he needs, he needs nine people to change a plug sock. And if you start talking to him when he's eating his lunch, uh, his lunch break starts again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is maybe symptomatic of the SNP's overall approach. You know, the, this, these ideas, these approaches filter down from the top. And the SNP, SNP's approach, Scottish government's approach, to tackling drug deaths has been catastrophic. They've yeah. spiralled up like uh, I think four times wow. since the SNP came to came to power. Fourteen hundred people died. That's last what happens year when drugs. you elect a single issue party to actually run the country. Yeah, they don't, they don't care about anything else. <laughs> Does seem to me that I think there maybe there's a little bit of fudge going on here because I would have thought they like having drugs in prison because basically if if prisoners have got the drugs that they're used to taking. There's probably less chance of trouble, isn't there? I think I think they're allowing us. I think it depends. It depends uh, yeah, on the it, drug. It really does depend on the drug and how the prisoner themselves react to the drug. I mean, yeah. to me, this story just says this guy is not trying. <laughs> um, I firmly believe there are prisons all over the world that haven't got a single drug in them, and I think this guy has just given up. Yeah. I think he's just not willing to put on the rubber glove. <laughs> I think that he. he 
I've played a game called Prison Architect where you build your own prison, yeah. you are a warden. We've all had drug problems, guys, but I fixed my drug problem. <laughs> what's, what do we think is the is the point of egress then? Are, are they kind of being floated in on little sort of uh, drones or, or are they coming in from, via the warders? That's, that's, the warders are like the nightclub bouncers in this situation. Right? Well, there's, there's doubtless, you know, drugs are getting in through warders, but, uh, but because of uh, synthetic drugs, they can smuggle them in apparently on uh, bits of paper. So nope. they soak... As bits of as paper. As bits of paper. Yeah, so yeah, they soak yeah. the paper in yeah. the synthetic cannabinoid and yeah. then, you know, you can just write a... You, this is, that's why if you know how to write, that. you can write a letter, you can draw a picture, send it to your dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they were saying as well that there was... Because there was a lot of concern that they were denying access to, to library books. The prisoners. Very and the reason weird was because they were telling lies. Yeah, tasted weird. <laughs> Thursday's mail now, and it may be warm outside, but a word of caution for those thinking of taking a swim in our rivers, Diane. Yes, well, talking of drugs, good grief. So almost half of the world's rivers mm. contain dangerous levels of prescription drugs. So it turns out that uh, researchers from the University of York have found unsafe levels of drugs, including antidepressants, antihistamines and painkillers, in 43.5% of sites across 104 countries. So in 104 countries, yep. there are fish and they are not depressed and no. they are not sneezing. <laughs> they're they're not having allergic. a great time. No, they haven't got that weird sinusy feeling. No, they feels. bump into things <laughs> and they're like, I didn't feel a thing, guys. This river is great. We should swim here all the time. It doesn't sound too bad, does it? Are these at levels that a human might actually ingest and experience anything? Well, like how, David how many Wallace fish? swam if, open mouth up the Thames. If, if you're in jail in Berlin, in Scotland, how many right. fish have you got to eat? <laughs> <laughs> well, tuna is actually um, a prison um, currency because, you know... No, it is! They've because moved on from cigarettes. This is health-conscious prison. <laughs> well, yeah, it's because they're all working out and tuna is a massive source of protein. And so if no the tuna not. has come from the rivers, yeah. oh, my God, they're going to be like, this tuna's great, I feel so mellow. As long as it doesn't wow. have estrogen in because that will counteract the effects of working out. Of well, course. this is or the thing. I mean, there's, there's apparently... there's a a rise in oestrogen in water supplies yeah. uh, and also in British waterways they found fish with cocaine, ketamine, methamphetamine, pesticides and other... Uh, <laughs> this is a single fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The oestrogen thing is quite worrying because uh, yeah. sperm counts have halved oh, yeah. uh, just in, in my lifetime. I'm, I, know. I mean, I'm quite old, but... Well, this is Alex Jones, isn't it? You're turning the Express. Forget polio, this is the one Tinder generation should be worried about, Liam. Yes, we've got another disease. Um, so <laughs> scientists, <Ring a> bell. <laughs> scientists are just, they, they want, they're missing COVID and they want another disease to come back. Uh, so it's the clap, it's, uh, it's gonorrhea. Uh, so there's an antibiotic resistant strain of super gonorrhea that may pose a global threat. Uh, don't worry, it hasn't gone airborne. Um, it's just uh, an Austrian man caught it when he had, um, he had unprotected sex with a prostitute while on holiday in Cambodia which probably isn't covered by your, by your travel insurance, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, but this is uh, it's, it's resistant to antibiotics, uh, so it's very hard to, to treat, and you know, so this spreads amongst the population, yeah. we could have, could have a problem. It's not like the, you know, the 70s, when you watch Boogie Nights and things, yeah. anybody who gets a, a, you know, um, any genital is itching... Is going to the clap, I can remember... It's the clap, yeah, apparently, I found that out here. And we, of yeah. course, we've now got mon monkeypox. 
And uh, we've got all kinds of That is a pox. Was the, the pox was, uh, what is it, syphilis was the pox. I right, think. yeah. And, and, and gonorrhea was the clap. Yeah, and some of yeah. these things are, are coming back as they become, yeah. you know, resistant to, to so antibiotics. It's so the news at the moment, isn't yeah. it? We've got Cold War, we've got Top Gun in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Super gonorrhea. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Oh, Abba's on tour. Nostalgic. They are. <laughs> it's wonderful. <laughs> so we got strikes. That's all for part two. In three, we will discuss the ethics of superior fighting techniques, meeting inferior ones, why our faces are sex arenas, and the tragedy of the hungry seagull. See you in a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Simon Evans. With me are my guests, Leo Kurs and Diane Spencer. So Thursday's Daily Star now. We get on to some meteor topics. A pertinent lesson in humility for the group of lads in this article, Diane. Oh, my word. OK, so prepare yourselves, everybody. So Box Park vows to stand by ex-boxer Julius Francis after bouncer suspended for viral KO. So Julius Francis, uh, he uh, used to be a boxer, very successful boxer, British, former British heavyweight champion. And um, he now works as a bouncer. And we have a video that shows uh, what exactly happened. So Let's have a look. Uh, you can keep talking. Yes, I'm going, going to the ring. So look at this guy with uh, the blue durag. So he's there going, yeah, come on then, come on then. I'm going to take you all out. Come on then. Shut up, I want to get in there and drink with all my friends. Now, Julius is this gentleman here. He's the just left. appeared to the left. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he's wearing... He's you sort need of to be able to do it like a sport, like match of the day, don't you, with a little red marker so you can watch how <laughs> he's going. Now, he circles around the back here or like that. There's, so, an, there's an angry... Julius, he's moving, he's There's moving an angry ginger front. man as well. <laughs> he's, that's not Julius. Julius Ju is out of short already. Now, he's watch how Julius aggressive the guy in the blue is. The, the guy with Julius the blue... Julius him. Yes, now he's watching... He's, like he's, he's, he's trying to punch people. He's waiting for him people. here. He's waiting for him behind. So he's, he's, he's punching. Really kicking off. He's punching people. Yeah. He's, yeah. There, he's definitely the guy... Julius the, is the circus rat and he's going for Julius! <laughs> oh, and straight in the foot. Look at the And given speed. he's a professional boxer, that wasn't a particularly great shot. I mean, but he did... Oh, no, it just shows you how big and powerful... It sounds like we've got a challenger for the title. Simon's going to take him on. He didn't have to put his weight into it, did he? He just... Yeah, the guy was lightweight, really. Yeah, but he didn't even he, he didn't even try. He literally reacted on instinct, and he oh, kind yeah. of just went. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. It was a bit like when John Prescott got hit with that egg. Whoppa! Yeah. Uh, but this guy was completely unconscious. So anyway, the guy is um, he's he's had a good uh, character reference and so on, and the the general the, the the kind of general kind of aftermath is that everyone feels this guy should be. Uh... Well, yep. he was momentarily suspended yep. by the UK Security Industry Authority because right. they have a lot of rules governing how bouncers should behave. Yep. And obviously a bouncer being able to knock somebody out in one punch is mildly alarming. <laughs> um, but um, his employer is behind him. And I think watching that video, so are most of us. Yeah, and yeah. with any luck, Julius, we wish you well. And um, hopefully he'll be back to work. But the one thing I haven't managed to establish, I don't know whether, you have, uh, whether you've got it there, but was this establishment like a bar, or was it more like a boxing gym? Was uh, it, was no, it's... box park, isn't it supposed to be some kind of uh, place where you go to eat and things? You go, yeah, you go for, for drinks. Yeah. So, so the fact that it has the word box in it is actually, that's just... Oh, it's completely, just completely irrelevant, yeah, yeah. I was trying to work out whether they were Maybe. in a bit of a sort I, of... I don't you know... think Julius can use it in his defence. <laughs> no, <laughs> it says box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was still within the park. 
So, Thursday's Telegraph now, another story of someone overestimating their abilities, Leo. Yeah, this is fantastic. So, a, a sinkhole uh, opened up in a London uh, street. Was it Was it in London? Um, Bexley Heath. Bexley Heath, so south, south London. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a big a big sinkhole, 8 foot deep, 15 foot wide and 20 foot long. Uh, and it, the residents all came out to have a look at it. They're like, yeah. oh my God, what's happening in the street? And somebody came along on a motorbike and instead of <laughs> stopping... And, you know, like, as you do with yeah. a hole this size, he tried to jump it. And uh, he didn't make it, unfortunately. Well, no, ra no ramp. No just ramp. Like, no ramp. No ramp, just like a skateboarder. <laughs> just trying to do a, a bit of come up in the berm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's been drinking river water, but he, <laughs> he fell into it. Like, the resident, uh, like, uh, described what, what happened. Uh, we're standing there looking at it. A motorbike came speeding along, tried to jump over the hole. Uh, and he fell into it with this big bike and then got out and started shouting, I need a taxi, I need a taxi, <laughs> and then ran off. So... That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I, I think even I recognise that you need a little bit of upward lift if oh. you're going to clear a sinkhole. They're yeah. weird, though, aren't they, sinkholes? I love sinkholes. There's something, there's a, bit, a, bit, a tiny bit of Stranger Things type madness mm. opening up. Oh, I had a dream once that I got swallowed into a sinkhole and it yeah. was horrible. Yeah. But, yeah, it's the way that kind of... You suddenly realise, wait, there's limestone underneath us that can just dissolve and suddenly there's a hole in the road? Mm, yeah. It's a little bit terrifying. Yeah. I would never try to jump on a, on a bike. No, absolutely. Well, that's... Uh, that, Rollerblades, maybe. I guess that chap is lucky <laughs> to be able to call for a cab. Thursday's Guardian now. Microsoft have put up the safety bumpers on their AI. Yes, so Microsoft is limiting access to the facial recognition tool yeah. in uh, artificial intelligence ethics overhaul. So Microsoft are now concerned about deep fakes. Um, but I kind of feel like the digital horse has already bolted from this stable. I kind of yeah. feel like it's already out there, but Microsoft are doing what they can to kind of claw back some of the stuff because, for example, changing your voice. So um, you're, you can use something to make you sound like somebody else. Uh, Microsoft are now sort of putting in an audible, essentially a digital fingerprint. So they would be able to say, perhaps if they had, had to go to court, Oh, yeah. yes, no, this is clearly a deep fake. Um, but there's lots of things that they have to change because obviously uh, it's to do with inferring emotion, gender or age using facial recognition technology. Because well, there's, there's could, a lot of Could replace Keir Starmer then? <laughs> well, give him emotion. Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine can, an emotion? He'll be able to tell yeah. if it's a woman or... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? The AI is probably too decisive for them. It makes them easy. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a little bit of that, isn't there? I don't fully understand this story, but some of the things that occasionally uh, people express concern about with AI is that it does seem to be extraordinarily blunt speaking and as often as not quite accurate, but but it's the, it's the degree to which it isn't sensitive about people's preferred pronouns or whatever, you know, yeah. that's the kind of element of it a little bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and this, this technology can be abused. So obviously Microsoft, you know, are probably restricting this facial recognition software yeah. to stop it being used nefariously. Yeah. Uh, but it's already being used nefariously in, in China. The Chinese Communist Party has, is, I think they've got the most uh, surveilled population in the yeah. world and they use uh, facial recognition so they can track people like ANPR like we yeah. do with number plates they can track people across the city and they've got the social credit score so you know they can see what you're up to and then you know reduce your social credit if you're doing anything the state doesn't like. And the, the extent to which AI can distinguish between different aspects of human behaviour, personality and uh, genetically determined one thing, this came out about a year ago, and I still find it absolutely extraordinary. 
there, there is an AI that can look at an X-ray, like of a, a chest X-ray, your rib cage essentially, and can tell what race you are, as which will have a like ninety-three percent likelihood of matching your self-identified race. Mm. Previously, surgeons, doctors, whatever, had not believed there was any difference between, like the the X, you know, the skeletal structure of different races. They they would not be able. They still don't know what it is that the AI is identifying, right. and yet it can do so. Which is, I mean, that is a little bit scary, right? It's <laughs> kind of, you're thinking, what? It is very intense. I mean, uh, so these applications are used sometimes in war zones. For example, they use them to track the movements of people, and they've used them to make um, uh, predictive patterns so they can sort of guess where IEDs have been put. If they wow. follow a certain person's face and they notice where that person is looking and yeah. how they're looking at the same place and they keep visiting somewhere. Yeah. And then they sort of, they put it into the computer and the computer says, this person's been doing something very weird. They've been yeah. scoping out this area. So that's where it is useful. But obviously then you have the other side where I'm pretty sure in China, there could be a deep fake of Leo going, well, the China the Chinese Communist Party is the best party I've ever seen, and they've completely redone GB no, News. That's actually real. That I, got really two, I got 200 quid for that. <laughs> Thursday's mail now, and this one's about having things... Having sex on your face, Leo. <laughs> yeah, no. Not all at once, please. Um, no, this is, this is pretty disgusting. So apparently there's eight-legged mite arachnids uh, that have sex on our face. Uh, they, and we all have them. And we have them from birth. They're, they're passed on during the act of birth. Right. If it's an act. Is it yeah. an act? Uh, they exist in our ears. <laughs> or... <laughs> yeah, it's better, <laughs> better than pulling a rabbit out. <laughs> but uh, we have them in our ears, uh, eyebrows and eyelashes, as well as hair that covers nipples and genitals. Uh, and they, um, they, so they live on us. They, they have sex on us. Uh, but they're tiny. They're 0 0.01 uh, inches long. Um, but because... one. They must be more than that. That's quite, that's quite big. 0 0.01. No, no, I thought they were... 0 0.3 millimetres. 0.01, right. yeah. 0.3 millimetres, OK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we're talking That's pretty tiny. small. Yeah, yeah. there's not... loads of them on our face right now. I can see them. I can see them <laughs> on you, Simon. That, doesn't sound, that sounds small, but not impossibly small. Yeah, but... Oh, there's a picture of one. Look. Apparently, oh! apparently their oh! DNA... Uh, so because they don't get inf infusions of fresh DNA uh, into, into the... Because they, they just live on us. There's no... no. Uh, they, they don't leave the host and come back on the host or anything. So they're, they're, they're losing a lot of their DNA. They're sort of um, uh, reverting to a, a primal state. And they're become... Apparently, scientists think they're going to become a symbiotic part of our body oh, and right. stop being uh, in, independent animals completely. So when you say... I, that now includes these mites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're going to go yeah. on strike. <laughs> they're going to go all sorts. They're well, some of the scientists think, oh, maybe it, they can help you, like they keep your pores clean. They're not totally yeah. sure what they do. Yeah. But I'm thinking, yeah, but when I, like, have bits of my face waxed, surely I'm ripping off a load yeah. of mites as well. Well, then Genocide. this is just on top of the trillions of bacteria you've got in your gut and yeah. the rest of it. I mean, we are a minority in reality. In yeah. I think the whole they-them pronouns thing makes a lot of sense. <laughs> You know, there's very few of us mm. can really claim to be uh, a single identifiable individual. Now, the Harvester Buffet has been a symbol of continuity and strength for our great nation for generations. 
Well, I say generations. I seem to remember it arriving. But anyway, hopefully that will continue, Diane. But what's going on? So, Harvester Salad Bar change leaves chain in hot water with diners. Right. So, Harvester are now saying, rather than you go up and you fill your salad plate, it used to be you fill your salad yeah. plate with as much as you want, and you could go up as many times as you want. Now, you've got to, you're going to have to queue up, and people, you have to say to the person behind the counter, I would like to just have bacon bits and croutons, please. And you're going to have to acknowledge your poor salad choices wow. to the person there. I want three <laughs> scoops of coleslaw. <laughs> no, I don't want any lettuce. All the Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> yes, yeah. I want three tubs of that, please. Um, yeah, so they... And so you're being people, salad shamed, essentially. You're being salad shamed because and you it's have not to... And it's not a bottomless refill either. I, well, it is, but you right. have to keep going up and you have right. to keep asking somebody. I think they, they've changed this because obviously sometimes when you go to the salad bar, there's sort of kids squeezing croutons and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And it's a, a hygiene thing. But um, the, the fans of Harvester, I don't think they're real fans. If they're saying they're going to boycott the whole thing just because of this change, you can't be a real Harvester oh, fan. Yeah, but you can't. They're doing away with bacon bits, olives and beetroot chunks because what? apparently they're expensive parts of the salad. So I can understand if, you, them, yeah, yeah. if you're a beetroot bits. fan. Yeah, they're, they're getting rid of some of the best bits. I could never understand why they would sort of put all the things like beetroot and sometimes even like kind of things with fish or uh, or meat involved and maybe next to iceberg lettuce, which you just think is utterly valueless worth. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of long-standing traditions, Thursday's Guardian has one on the capitulation of Shetland's oldest. So Shetland, which is it sort of sees itself as sort of independent to Scotland, they're they're yes. very Viking, yes. and they have a they have an annual uh, festival called Upheli Ah Viking Fire Festival. Uh, they probably pronounce it in a that more manly way, way than by that. The way, is a, is a popular one among Scrabble users. That's a kind of volcanic <laughs> rock. Double A. Double E. Yeah, I believe so. But anyway, is that, yeah, is that what it's, I think it's the same one. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's here. what it. I don't know if that's what it is here. This is something to do with Vikings. But they've they've never let uh, women take part because they're Vikings. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're they're quite they're uh, to a lot of toxic masculinity, <laughs> and uh, you know all that sort of raping and pillaging. It wasn't you know they're not uh, reformed husbanding. characters. Was husbanding. Looking after animals, you know. Once oh, you've right. down, once you've... I just you know, call that looking after animals. <laughs> I didn't know you had to marry them. Yeah. But, uh, so they have this uh, procession, a thousand people carrying torches, and they've never let women take part in it. But now, um, you know, for years, women have been saying, no, let's take part. And finally they've been like, all right, women can take part. That's it's over. It's over. <laughs> yeah, give the women the flame. I've got to say, Dan, you look, you look like you're ready for it. Yeah, I'm ready yeah. to carry a flame and pretend yeah. to be a Viking. Why not? That sounds <laughs> you fun. Want to fit right in in Shetland. I've never been there. Have you ever been? No, never been. I would like to go. I've been to Scotland though, well, and it's cold yeah. enough. Uh, Thursday's Daily Star. Normally, when a bird is punched outside of where the spoons, the police are called. This time, however, <laughs> it was Ew. only a seagull. Diane, <laughs> it was the RSPB. Yes, yeah, so, um, okay, so this is a little bit of a sad story, depending on where you come down on the sense of justice. Mm. So, a seagull was punched to death outside of Weatherspoons after it stole a single chip. Wow. Oh, tiny With, Tim. Was it Julius Francis? Yeah, I was going to say. It was not yeah. Julius Francis. <laughs> on his holiday. Eating his chips. So, um, essentially, uh, there were witnesses, and they said that this man didn't seem to care that the bird, he sort of lamped the bird, yeah. and everybody was sort of in shock, going, why on earth did you punch the bird? Just shoo it away. You would kind of punch it on, you would kind of normally backhand it, wouldn't you? you would you? Like, <laughs> Is that what you normally do? <laughs> Seagulls are Get big. Yeah. Like, you have oh, to no, sort I of... Oh, no, I know. I live in Brighton, but in Hove, 
there's, you know. It's yeah. yeah. How often do seagulls try to steal your food? One took a sandwich off me as I was walking a down sandwich. the road. Yeah. A whole, a whole sandwich. sandwich? Well, I mean, a quartered sandwich, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Are we talking little English? Bits of it then fell out, you know, but it flew off with right. the bulk of the sandwich. Right, and, right. Uh, okay, so this guy, and this chips guy. loads of the time. Yeah, all the time with chips. Wow. So this guy decided to fight back, but he punched the seagull really hard. The seagull was apparently sort of like staggering around and sort of uh, somebody went over and picked up the seagull and put him put him to the side, but then the seagull like died. Imagine the scene in an airplane, right, where somebody goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it sounded like a, a leather sofa being hit with a good wallop, so he must have he must have hit it pretty hard. Yeah. So, yeah, now, now it's being investigated, Weatherspoons are, are investigating, because, of course... You know, Britain is an animal-loving country. Mm. We absolutely love, we put animals above people, but that's got its limits. And I wonder if seagull, seagulls are the limit, because nobody really, they're always stealing chips. They are yeah. owned by the Queen, though. That man has just killed a seagull, and the seagull own, uh, and the Queen owns all the seagulls. I thought that was swans. No, it's swans. seagulls as well. They really? Yes. I didn't know it was royal, but they are protected. We had a, we had a, a gull lay a, 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 an egg in a nest on a sort of dormer window outside our house. And um, I, I just rang up to see if somebody could do it. And he goes, you can't touch it. You can't push it off with a broom or anything. The only thing you can do, how about this? This is legal. You can drip paraffin onto the egg and that will suffocate the, the little gull inside. Oh, yeah. oh my God, what's that? What yeah. sociopath would do that? <laughs> I, oh. I had a mate who, uh, he said the uh, traditional sailor's method, if, if uh, to keep gulls and, and birds generally from landing on the deck and waddling around and getting in the way, is you have something that looks like a snake on the deck because birds don't like snakes. Right. But we didn't have any rubber snakes, so I put a dinosaur out on the uh, window and it kind of worked. Well, that's, the ancestor. Yeah, exactly. that's the ancestor of the, yeah. of the bird. I think, I think it's more like I wouldn't drip paraffin in an egg. I'd, like, take them on in, in close combat as an yeah. adult like this man did. That's yeah. the honourable No, way. I quite agree. It's a more manly way of dealing with it. We finish on the mail, and it seems the global reduction in levels of testosterone is coming home to roost, Diane. Yes, so there is a nationwide sperm shortage, uh, which means that 75% of donated swimmers, lovely, come from <laughs> abroad, and somehow it still manages to land in the cup. Isn't that great? <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. So according to the Progress Educational Trust, 53% uh, of men are willing to donate, but apparently there is a shortage, yeah. and uh, a a lot of people want to do IVF, um, but uh, there is a postcode lottery as to whether you get funding for it or you don't. Yeah. And the problem with getting sperm from abroad is that they are not due to the stringent health checks mm. that we put sperm through in our country. So in our country, we do sort of screen them for various things, yeah. mm. you know. Um, well, we had a story about it quite recently where oh, yeah. uh, well, people had gone black market essentially and had wound up with some very dodgy diseases. We had three quarters of sperm coming from overseas. Pretty Patel should send the sperm to Rwanda. <laughs> that, on that note is what we have time for. Thank you to my guests. I've been Simon Evans. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll see you again next week. Thank you very much. Good night. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.